We are just one day away from the NHL draft, and JT Miller is still very much in the spotlight. It is Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd, rejoined by my regular co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who is on the ground live in Montreal as he prepares to cover the NHL draft tomorrow and Friday in Montreal. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Drance, what's going on, man? Well, first of all, my throat got into a fight with a raccoon last night, um, which is how you know I'm enjoying Montreal. I was going to say, wow, (laughs) you're telling me the hockey media had some drinks in Montreal last night? Is that what you're saying, Drance? Uh, One or two. I am stunned. Truly stunned. Anyway, anyway, I'll I'll soldier on. There's lots to discuss. Uh, Frank Saravalli has has the report that the Canucks and JT Miller's camp circled back, took one more shot at it, and don't appear to have, you know, built a bridge to a potential extension to keep Miller in Vancouver. Pretty interesting because it would seem consistent with my urgency reporting, right? And, of course, I suggested on Monday that the Canucks and JT Miller might take another, like I would have expected them, In a world where there is some urgency, you take one more shot this week. Looks like the Canucks did exactly that per multiple reports. And Saravalli is saying they doesn't appear that they're getting closer. Uh, This all points in only one direction, right? It all Mm -hmm. points only in one direction. And yet, as I'm asking around, frankly, the sense I get is that it's quiet around Vancouver. Like, there's not a ton of chatter industry-wise around the club itself today and that sort of makes me wonder if they might be in advanced discussions with uh, a select number of teams uh, that the process is being hush-hush because certainly there's not a sense around the league you know from some there's not a sense around the league from what I can gather in Montreal of the team you know sort of shopping this player in, in a wider sense right now um very interesting, and I was going to begin the show with asking you if there are uh, as many J.T. Miller seagulls, as we call them on the show in Montreal, as there are in Vancouver, but I mean... Don't, don't, let's not bring up the se- seagulls. I don't think I can hit that falsetto today. <laughs> Miller, Miller. <laughs> but really, I mean, my, my question was kind of answered by the reports from various major insiders around the NHL. I mean, you mentioned Saravalli, and I think he had the most detailed and most kind of interesting report, which was that the Canucks did indeed meet with Miller's camp in Montreal yesterday, but they remained far apart in Saravalli's words on any potential contract extension. Uh, He also said uh, that Washington... The Rangers and the Devils uh, are all linked to JT Miller. Uh, and, you know, similar things followed up on or, or reported by Darren Dreger, who says, you know, Vancouver's ask remains high, but the interest in the talented forward is very strong. And your colleague at the Athletic, Pierre Lebrun, uh, who again links the Rangers to JT Miller and says the teams continue to call the Canucks on the forward. So, That is kind of, as you read, you know, not just local media here, local insiders, but national guys who cover the entire sport. That does seem to be one of the top line items right now in Montreal. And it's 
I can't say that I'm overly surprised that the kind of you know if that was the true last ditch to uh, last ditch attempt to kind of take a run at see if you can find some middle ground see if you can facilitate a way to get JT Miller back on the team on a contract extension I can't say I'm that surprised if it didn't produce you know significant movement or or get the you know get the ball rolling towards a compromise because and you know Batch and I were talking about this on the show yesterday. I'm not really sure what the pressure point from JT Miller's perspective would be to to move at this point, right? I, it doesn't seem like there is there would have been a, a lot of urgency for the player and his camp to move towards the Canucks. And then if the Canucks were, you know, as committed to holding the line on term as we've kind of been given to understand they are, it's just a really difficult scenario to see one side budging or or at least bridging the gap to getting something close to to workable. It's not shocking to me that we're at this point a day before the draft with, okay, that last gasp gasp didn't work. Now maybe trade talks will start to heat up in earnest. Yeah, and, you know, I I still believe and view the organization's thinking on this as understanding the risk you take on if you hold Miller beyond the silly season. Now, there's windows to do deals that extend beyond the draft, right? The draft is a false deadline in my view because, you know, I, I think about like the Jason Spezza trade to Dallas. I, I know that's a long time ago, like six, seven years, but it happened the day after free agency. There was all this speculation in the lead up to the draft. Ottawa held him. Ottawa held him on, the, on July 1st and then made the deal. And that's sometimes how it goes too because teams – you know, uh, maybe a team strikes out on a Nazem Kadri, right? Or an Andrew Kopp type player in, in unrestricted free agency and then is willing to meet the price. Uh, you think about the Darcy Kemper deal last year, right? Where after Grubauer left, then the Avalanche made that deal. So, you know, I don't view the draft as a particularly strong pressure point for from a Vancouver perspective with JT Miller, but over the course of the next 10 days... I do think the club is aware of the risk that they'll take on if they hold Miller beyond that and the lack of upside in in playing your cards that way, right? There are there are real tangible risks that accrue if the team is not proactive. And and that's sort of one thing that comes back to what we've been talking about almost all offseason, Jamie, right? Which is the need, the imperative on both Horvat and Miller to be decisive in one direction or another, right? I, I haven't been one who's, you know, been banging the drum on the need to trade either player or, or you know, recommending against the club extending either player so much as I thought it was a situation where the club kind of had to move one way or another. Whether you're extending or whether you're trading, I, I felt like it needed to get done this summer. I still think that that's where we're going here. And if the club's no closer in Miller Talks, I do think it's just a matter of time, although I wouldn't get my hopes up necessarily uh, about a deal coming down, you know, this afternoon, uh, you know, uh, it could take longer. It could take till the 13th. But if they can't bridge that gap, I do think all all the sort of arrows are pointing in one direction here. Yeah, that's certainly and, you know, the phrase that Frank Saravelli has used a couple of times is the writing is on the wall. I believe he uses it again in his report today. And look. Uh, unexpected things happen, right? And there's always a chance that, yeah, they couldn't bridge the gap yesterday, but something changes, you know, somebody decides to blink and all of a sudden uh, they are able to have productive discussions and maybe an extension becomes a reality. That reality. That is certainly 
a possibility, but yeah, all of the reporting we're hearing is pointing in that one direction right now in for of a potential trade for JT Miller. And to your point about, you know, the risks associated with holding Miller past this kind of window, you know, through the summer, maybe into next season, we've kind of gone through those risks before, whether it's, you know, a drop in production, injury, whether, you know, the Canucks getting caught up in a playoff race and then feeling like they can't make the deal. And then you have this pending UFA that you're holding uh, through the deadline. But I think the other thing to keep in mind is there's also... You know, if there's also a positive aspect to, I think, getting clarity on it before free agency opens, right? Because not only are you opening up uh, the cap space of trading JT Miller if you're the Canucks, and that might let you do be a little bit more active in free agency on the 13th, but maybe you get back a young roster player that you really like, and that kind of fills a hole that otherwise you would be looking to dip into free agency. So I think it's the risk associated with holding him beyond you know the next week or so, but there's also upside to getting it done. There, there's the advantage of having clarity, of knowing exactly where you stand as you tackle the rest of your offseason and go about filling out your roster. And I think that's a really important consideration from the Canucks perspective as well. I mean, we talked about the with Brock Besser, right? You don't want lingering all summer. You don't want the JT Miller situation lingering all summer as well. You want to know where you stand so you can make those decisions next week and beyond in the summer. Well, 100%, especially because part of the value that you're getting back, uh, especially if you're doing a deal for futures or young roster players who cost significantly less, is the flexibility to be a bigger player when the market opens on July 13th, right? I mean, that's a key part of the return. Now, it's not as important a part of the return as the cap flexibility beyond next season, right? Because we know that, yeah, yeah, sure, trading JT Miller clears $5.25 million in cap space, but JT Miller is likely to provide $4 million in surplus value above $5.25 million for you next year, right? I mean, there's a real chance that he's uh, worth you know, eight figures in terms of his actual on-ice contributions at half that amount, where you sort of benefit from a cap space perspective is ducking the long-term liability of, you know, 8.5 times eight, which I think is just kind of the the baseline assumption that we have on, on what a Miller deal looks like. Um, so, you know, there's value in that certainty for sure, and I don't want to downplay it, but the 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 value from a cap space perspective is what comes beyond next season right that's where that's where the club you know is sort of able to reallocate that cap space creatively and and in ways to improve it's hard to beat the the value that miller provides next year considering his number and and so yeah certainty would help certainty would help but i think the bigger factor in my view is just the way that teams commit their cap space the way that you lose players at the poker table effectively in in Miller talks if you go beyond you know the next 10 days like thereafter teams that want to acquire him and there there will still be a ton of interest because of his versatility because of his value because of his team friendly contract like it's not like his value is just going to expire but the club's ability to get as many players at the table will become more complicated, um, you know, beyond something like the 14th or 15th of July. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And this text comes in from Alasdair in Clearwater, says, do you guys think there's any appetite from Vancouver 
to retain salary on Miller to maximize the return in a trade. I mean, from my perspective, I would certainly be open to that. I, I think the thing is, because it's only the one year left on Miller's deal, I'm not sure how much extra value that adds. As you said, he's on a really reasonable number for next year, right? And that's what you would be retaining on. So, yeah, go for it. But I, I don't think that, you know, I, it's probably not going to be a team that acquires him that's going to struggle to fit his number next year under the cap. It's the years beyond no. that that might be problematic. So, again, should you be open to it? Could it move the needle? Maybe, but I'm not sure it's going to be the kind of key thing that helps you bump up your return in a Miller deal. I think that's I think that's right. And yeah, I don't think this team, like if your goal is to do the left hand, right hand thing we've been talking about all, all offseason, right? If if that's your goal, then retaining on Miller makes it more difficult to compete in this upcoming season. Now, should that be a priority? Probably not. Not in my view anyway, right? I, I think the club should have their eyes trained very solidly on the long term, you know, with discipline on the long-term sort of needs. So if retaining on Miller can help you juke the return to any extent, I think that makes a fair bit of sense. But I just don't expect that to occur. I don't think it's going to be necessary to get full value, and I don't think the team's going to want to do that. I think they're going to want to go play in free agency and sort of target players that perhaps begin to fit the way that the Canucks front office, you know, want this team to play in, right? Like the, the sandpaper thing, the speed thing, the balance thing, right? I think though that will be the priority in, in using that cap space. So I don't expect, I don't expect to see a retention on the deal. Uh, I would, however, expect young players back, right? That, yeah, that's yeah, sort yeah. of where I'm at that. I think that we all know that that's going to be the Canucks biggest, um, sort of priority in this trade. And 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 a last thing, a last thing to note is uh, my colleague Pierre Lebrun directly linking the Canucks and the Rangers. Chris Drury, the Rangers general manager, is very guarded, right? I mean, if the Rangers were involved and it feels quiet around the Canucks, that would make sense. Like that would square at, at, in terms of how we're thinking about where the team's at and what what I'm hearing anyway out here in Montreal so far. Um, but, but another thing to note about Drury, he, he keeps a pretty tight circle, right? And he's just lost one of the advisors that he's tended to be closest to in, in Mike Greer, who's now gone over to, to be the new general manager of the San Jose Sharks. Um, not as like if the Rangers are involved and it's, and it feels quiet around the Canucks in the industry, like those two facts would line up the way that I view it. Now, just on the New York Rangers, so as you mentioned, uh, Pierre Lebrun, your colleague at The Athletic, uh, very directly linking them and saying no surprise that the Rangers are among the suitors for JT Miller again. Frank Saravelli mentioned the Rangers along with the Capitals and the New Jersey Devils. Um, I, I, I want to be very careful about how I phrase this because we're still trying to track down the exact audio, but I've also seen... Uh, reports that earlier today on Sirius XM, our own Jeff Merrick uh, linked the Canucks uh, and the Rangers very directly on a, right. a JT Miller deal, potential deal as well. So that, no surprise. Look, I mean, what have we been talking about the last six months when, when a potential suitors for JT Miller have come up? The New York Rangers have been have been at the top of the list. And I think there was some you know debate or kind of conversation from Canucks fans when the Rangers went to the conference finals. Well, Okay, well, that does that take them out of the JT Miller sweepstakes? Do they look at it and say, you know what? Actually, we have a really good team. We don't need to go out and take that big swing. 
But I think you could easily make the other argument, which is, hey, we made the conference finals. Imagine what we could do if we had JT Miller in the lineup as well. So not a surprise uh, to hear that the Rangers are again being linked to JT Miller. And as you said, you know, a team with a reputation for playing things pretty close to the vest. So look, just just some interesting, some very interesting uh, tea leaves to read right now, a day before the NHL draft in Montreal. Um I want to look. We'll we'll talk lots about JT Miller, and we'll keep you posted as as insiders really? and reporters. Is that, yeah. what, is that what we're yeah. is that what we're going to do? As 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 if Elliot Friedman tweets something about JT Miller, don't worry, I will read that tweet on this show. That that is my pledge well, to everyone, to all of our listeners you, here on Canucks Hour. Look, here's a prediction: if it is the Rangers, right, we're going to find out when we see the press release in our in our inbox. Like that's this one's not breaking on Twitter, in my view. If it's the Rangers and this front office. Um, you know, if that's the way this goes, we're going to find out from the teams themselves, uh, just because that's how both groups seem to want to do business. Well, if we get that press release, you, you will hear it here <laughs> first. Although if I but, had to just bet oh, purely on timing, I would bet tomorrow, like right before yeah, no, or during no, the first round. There's no benefit to doing a deal today. No. You know what I'm saying? Like I, that would be pretty I, you know, surprising. I, I, that would be pretty surprising at this point. And Rick Dollywall, by the way, has Brian Bartlett quoted saying the following uh, just just a minute ago. I don't anticipate that there will be a resolution on extension parameters this week. All right. Well, there you go. That so is there you go. That is very direct from a principal uh, involved in the situation. And look, as we said, does that guarantee a trade? No, absolutely not. Unexpected things happen at this time of year, but to hear that directly from the agent, not expecting a um, an extension to be reached or you know agreement on parameters of an extension ahead of July 13th, you couple that with everything we've heard from Jim Rutherford about the need to have clarity by the draft. Uh, I, again, to borrow Frank Saravelli's phrase, the writing certainly does seem to be on the wall, and we will keep you posted. As it develops, Rager texts in, I am jacked up for tomorrow. I feel you, Rager. I absolutely hear you on that one. Keep your text coming in, 650-650. I also wanted to mention two of the Canucks' assistant general managers speaking to the media today. Cami Granato spoke a little bit before our show. Emily Castingay, I believe, has either just wrapped up or is currently speaking to the media. We'll try to play you back some of that audio. Patrick Alvine will talk a little bit later in the day as well. You'll hear that here on Sportsnet 650. But I wanted to read this text that came in just as we put a slight, slight pause on the JT Miller uh, conversation, Drancer. This one from Grams, who says, what about the other players like Pearson, Myers, Garland, OEL? And maybe we can run through uh, some of those guys later in the show. But the name that has come up a lot more uh, consistently or a lot more frequently over the last couple of days is Tyler Myers. And, you know, the reporting is not oh, they're desperately trying to move Tyler Myers. It's, hey, if, if you meet their price, they'd be willing to do it. What's your sense of where things stand with Tyler Myers and the Canucks? Yeah, I mean, Tyler Myers' name keeps coming up, and when Friedman says it, you got you to gotta pay attention. You know, I think the club's needs on the right side and how down they are on this unrestricted free agent class of righties suggests to me that, you know, if you're in a world where you're only trading Myers, if a deal knocks your socks off, 
I don't think Myers has the trade value where that's going to happen. Like this is one where if if the condition for a Myers deal requires that a team blow the Canucks away with an offer, then I don't think a Myers deal is likely to happen. Right? That's not to say that they're not open to it. That's not to say that it, it's not a, a topic for discussion. But you know, <laughs> I I Myers obviously has some positive trade value uh, right now. I think he'll have more a year from now. I think the Canucks understand that they need him. I think there's a belief internally that he could be more effective for them if they were able to manage his minutes a little bit better. And while he might have some positive trade value, if the condition for the deal occurring is that the offer is really significant, then I I, I would bet heavily against that deal happening at all. Um, Rager Texan, would an early second-round pick this year knock their socks off is that like is that the kind of return or would it have to be even beyond that to get them you know really thinking because as you said I mean as much as you can look at the six million dollars and think oh man we would love to clear that off our books we would love to have that flex- flexibility in free agency you also you're losing 20 minutes a night on the right side you're losing a guy who is a part of your matchup pairing and that's not ideal I'm sure they would like to change that up they would like to bring in people who could you know help lessen the load on Tyler Myers but you're just making that task even more difficult if you do move them so I you know I, I think it's an interesting question from Rager obviously they don't pick in the second round but I, I'm not I, I just just hearing it kind of at first blush I'm not sure even that would uh, would necessarily move the needle enough. No, I, I think that's a fair point for sure. And so um, it should, though. I mean, if you get offered a second for, for Myers, in my view, with where this team is positioned, with where their prospect system is, uh, with the caliber of, of the club going into next season, I don't think you should hesitate for too long, right? Like there's ways to get um, other defenders uh, with the second round pick. There's there's a desperate need to add talent Um you know, for me anyway, that would be a no-brainer. But I don't know that it would move the needle sufficiently for this group. 650-650 again is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. We've got lots of thoughts coming in about uh, potential deals to be made with J- uh, involving JT Miller and the New York Rangers. What people would or would not want coming back. We'll read some of those. Uh, the other name that's been paired a lot with JT Miller, obviously in a very similar situation contractually, is Bo Horvat. We'll tackle the latest on Bo Hor- a potential Bo Horvat extension, what that number could or should look like. Lots more to get into. Drancer is live in Montreal just one day ahead of the NHL draft. Plus, we'll play back some Cammy Gardano and Emily Castingay at some point during the show. Don't go anywhere. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the show. It is Canucks Hour Extended, the plural, here on Sportsnet 650 for Draft Week as well as Free Agency Week. Uh, next week here on Sportsnet 650, we'll be doing two hours. Jamie Dodd and Canucks insider Thomas Strance, who is uh, playing hurt today in, <laughs> in after a night in Montreal last night. But he is battling through it, fighting through it, and he's doing uh, a great job. I'm, I'm glad we have you back on the show, Drancer. I mean, it was fun working with Batch yesterday, but... In two hours, I believe he only mentioned the Florida Panthers once in the in the whole show. So oh, we got to get that quote up. Brutal. A little bit. Those are those are yeah, rookie seriously. numbers, as they say. Awful. I mean, <laughs> you know, 
Batch is an experienced broadcaster. I expected more. <laughs> <laughs> no, but thanks to him for uh, for stepping in. And uh, the the contrast in the quality of radio voice that our Vancouver audience well, is uh, <laughs> is experiencing from yesterday to today. My goodness, that's <laughs> as big as it gets. It's a bit of a swing. It's just a little <laughs> bit of a swing right now. But hey, oh hey, God. we all got to play hurt sometimes. That's what you do, uh, six, especially this time of year. Exactly. You know? This is this is hockey media playoffs. Let's go. <laughs> That's right. You've got an uh, undisclosed upper body injury today, but that's all right. You're, play, <laughs> oh, you're oh, playing. Oh, it's through. very. It's very disclosed. <laughs> it's uh, apparent. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. If you're just catching up, just tuning in, just a, a flood of interesting reports uh, on JT Miller earlier today. I think most notably from Frank, Frank Saravelli, who reported that you know the teams met uh, or the team met with JT Miller's camp yesterday and were not able to bridge the substantial gap on a potential contract extension. That was kind of indirectly echoed by JT Miller's agent, as relayed by uh, our colleague Rick Dollywall earlier today on Twitter, who's in the agent saying he does not expect uh, the the team to come to an agreement on the parameters of an extension this week. So lots of news and, and reporting out there on JT Miller, but. I did want to turn our attention briefly here, and we have audio from Emily Castingay and Cameron Granato to play for you as well during the course of the show. We might get to Emily Castingay a little bit later in this segment, but I did want to turn our attention to one of the other kind of percolating stories there that will probably go on the back burner over the next couple of days, just because it doesn't quite have that same sense of urgency. But when you're looking at the long-term future of the club, could be I don't know, just as impactful as anything else that goes down over the next few weeks here. And that is the future of Bo Horvat. And if a contract extension will be done this summer with the captain and, you know, as it's certainly trending in that direction, I think it's fair to say what a potential deal could look like. And, you know, Drancer, I know you were, uh, you were reporting this earlier in the week that yes, it is very much headed in that direction, is that still the sense you're getting that we should all be anticipating a, a Bo Horvat contract extension at some point this summer? Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, that was one. <laughs> as I sort of said on Monday, right? That was one where you know I th- I think I was the first to kind of broach that there seemed to be a real sense of positivity around the Canucks and their captain that the situation between Horvat and the club and between Miller and the club could not be more distinct, right? That there was urgency on Miller, uh, that the talks, as far as I, I was aware of, were sort of far more detailed and advanced and that that wasn't a sign of progress. I mean, all of that I think we've seen play out. And since I reported that, what was it, last Thursday? On Thursday Something last like week? Something like that, I believe, yeah. I think we've got a sense that perhaps things are even more advanced than uh, we realized then. And so that sort of, I think, dovetails with an overall approach that, you know, you you can factor in at this point now some of the things that were uncertain 10 days ago in handicapping what to expect from the Canucks this, this summer, right? In particular, you now have Rathbone, or sorry, you now have Besser mm-hmm. locked up to that three-year deal, right? You You have some cost certainty there. I think you can move forward with confidence that a Bo Horvat deal is going to come in and, and get done. And then that sort of shines the spotlight again on our favorite topic, JT Miller, because, (laughs) 
because you know you you begin to look at what this team has to do to support this core group, right? And it's an expensive core group that's only going to get more expensive when some of the affordable labor that the club employs, like Hoaglander, like Pod Colson, get their own pay bumps, right? Kuzmenko, too, if he hits. Um, but when you factor in even, you know, even removing Demko's sweetheart deal from the equation, when you factor in seven mil for Ekman Larson, seven plus for Hughes, seven plus for Pedersen, surely seven plus for Bo Horvat, six and a half for um, Brock Besser, you know, it it becomes pretty top heavy. If, if you want to build the sort of balanced team that Rutherford keeps talking about, can you do that? Can you do that with Miller extended? That's a big question, right? That that to me is almost the big takeaway from the increasing certainty that I think we we have and that the industry has on a Horvat deal getting done this summer. And you know, just to your point, uh, Minor Matt and Abbotsford text this in. I don't really care who the Canucks trade, but I will say this: the status quo simply isn't good enough. Change is inevitable. Change is good. Uh, so don't be afraid to uh, you know get some get some big moves done this week. And when you just kind of detail, okay, Brock Besser is signed. Bo Horvat very very much trending towards a long term extension for the Canucks for the for the uh, Canucks captain. You know, those two players and JT Miller, I think we're kind of seen as the big potential dominoes that could fall in one direction or another for this team. And we have absolute clarity on one, at least for, you know, the foreseeable future in Brock Besser. It sounds like we're going to get clarity for another. And that really just leaves JT Miller. And I think to Minor Matt's point, not that it's impossible or it would be, you know, completely ridiculous to bring all three players back. It would just really limit the different possibilities you could explore in the future. As you say, you would be locking yourself in to a top-heavy core that was pretty expensive, and you know if it hasn't shown all that much as a core playing together, realistically, when you get down to it. So it, it doesn't mean, if Horvat and Besser both sign extensions, it, it doesn't mean you absolutely then have to trade JT Miller, but I just think it, 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 you know, it, if you didn't trade JT Miller, you're closing off so many different possibilities that you can then explore. And again, I don't think it's as simple as, oh, okay, well, since Brock Besser signed and since Bo Horvat's going to sign, that means they have to trade JT Miller. It just becomes so much more easy to shake up the team, to change things, to you know put your own stamp on this team, change how it plays if you are moving at least one of those players. And you know, as you said, it, it certainly doesn't, it's not going to be Brock Besser right now. And it certainly doesn't seem like it's going to be uh, Bo Horvat. So all signs point to JT Miller, and that's that's what's leading to the reporting that we've been hearing over the last you know couple of days, and certainly over the last few weeks. This text comes in. Uh, hello, can you discuss why it makes sense to pay Horvat long term and not Miller? Horvat is only two years younger, and will regress to a third line center in two or three years. Well, look, I, you can't just chalk up that he's that Bo Horvat is going to be a third line center in two or three years. You know, he's still going to be under thirty. He's still going to be very much in the kind of prime of his career in that time frame. And the the other thing I would say is, you know, first of all, those two years, they matter significantly, right? When you're talking about giving somebody a seven or eight year uh, extension. And the other thing is, and I think this is backed up just by the fact that we're talking about, you know, the team and Bo Horvat being kind of on the same page or already making significant progress towards an extension. 
you're just more likely to get a team-friendly deal done with Bo Horvat, right, than you are with JT Miller. And we're seeing that play out. There's a, there's a big gap that's probably not going to be closed between JT Miller and the club based on all the reporting we have and based on what you're hearing, Drancer, that same gap just doesn't exist. So if one's a couple of years younger and you're more likely to get them on a deal that works for both sides, well, that kind of answers the question. That's why we're talking about it. If JT Miller was willing to sign a very team-friendly deal that worked in the Canucks' parameters, yeah, they'd be thrilled to bring back him as well. It's not as if it's a choice between, you know, we like Bo Horvat, the player, more than JT Miller. I think the root of it is really comes down to the contractual status and what that's likely to be going forward. There's a lot less... It's an interesting one. It feels like there's less risk with a Horvat deal because of the fact that Horvat's kind of been the same guy year over year, right? Whereas Miller has vacillated wildly year over year from being like a really good top six forward to being one of the top 10 best 10 forwards in the league to being like a really good top six forward to being one of the top 10 forwards in the league like that. He's literally gone through that sort of change twice over the last four years. It's incredible. And there's a level of uncertainty, I think, that comes with committing a huge whack of term and money to a player where their form can be so unpredictable year over year versus a player like Bo Horvat, who, you know, you know, he's going to be able to play matchups. You know, he's going to get you close to 30 goals and 30 assists. Like, you know what you're getting there. The game score value added or um, game score value added model, which is Dom decisions model. Ting. Um, by the way, suggests that Bo Horvat has five more years remaining as a top six quality player. So, for sure, you're taking on some back-end risk if the Horvat deal is eight years, for example, if it's a max-term deal. Um, if it's shorter, though, th- that also diminishes the risk significantly, although it might up the cap hit. We'll see exactly where, where sort of it comes in at. I, I would kind of look for, in terms of Horvat comparables, you know, one thing that does tilt the valuation, the, the potential valuation in Horvat's favor is that Tomash Hurdle deal, right? That $8.1 million deal. If you if you consider where Hurdle was at when he signed that contract, right? He was at 0.78 points per game. Well, Bo Horvat was at 0.74 points per game this last season, right? Hurdle's career numbers are 0.66. Bo Horvat's 0.64. So that's a very strong comp for the Horvat camp. And yet I would think we're looking at mid sevens, high sevens, the Couturier comp to me. And and that's a guy who had a 0.91 points per game uh, the year before he signed, which is higher than what Horvat managed this, this last year. Uh, Nonetheless, you know, a career points per game number is 0.64 Horvat 0.64 granted Couturier has been a Selkie winner, but also his 7.75 times eight, contract is kind of dated it's like a pre-pandemic valuation right so we've seen prices go higher since um for me a Horvat like hometown discount looks like 7.5 times 6 something like that that to me would represent I think a compromise type deal and from the from Horvat's perspective and I'm sort of just floating that number because that's how I'd analyze it based on historical context, but also because I think it's important to remind people like 7.5 people will say that's not a hometown discount, but, but it actually kind of is based on 
sort of who Horvat's closest comps and where the market is going for players of his ilk at the moment. Well, and you're right, because that uh, that question has come in a lot here, right? Matt and Pomo says, can we can we stop referring to $7.5 million for Bo Horvat as extremely uh, team-friendly? Denis from Langley says, Jamie, what do you consider a team-friendly deal for Bo? From the chatter that's out there, if it's 7.5 times 8, that is not team-friendly. Another one unsigned, Horvat signing for 7-plus isn't even close to team-friendly. Now, to your point, Drancer, I think if it's there's a big difference between an 8-year extension and a 6-year extension when you're talking about team-friendliness and just the risk that you're that you're taking on on the back end of that deal right so I would agree 7.5 times 8 yeah I probably wouldn't call that super team friendly even though you can point to the uh the Tomas Hurdle extension and being very very similar players and it would be a step down from what Tomas Hurdle got so maybe it's just slightly below market value but I agree that it wouldn't necessarily be you know a slam dunk team friendly contract if you do get the term down at that number, I do think it qualifies. Uh, Rager also texts in, Sat is pulling out his hair, listening. But I think if it's, you know, to, to use the number you quoted, six years at 7.5. Why, why is Sat, is Sat on Team Bic? Sat is on Team Bic, yes. Sat has, is, I believe, to be fair, I, I don't want to put words in Sat's mouth, but I believe he has said he would be very hesitant to go over $7 million for Bo Horvat. And, and again, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think, I don't think that's, I don't think that's unwise necessarily. No, I don't but, think it's an outrageous opinion. But it's just... No, it's not at all. There's what... It's just that you have to kind of realize then that, okay, well, then an extension probably isn't getting done, right? You you know what I mean? These are all UFA years. These are all UFA years for a, you know, reliable 65-point matchup centerman, right? I mean, this is a player type that gets paid, period. And so... You know, I, I can understand if the team was reluctant to do that deal. I would understand that. Um, there's no world in which I would describe a Horvat 7.5 uh, AAV contract as efficient, right? Um, I, I, that's not going to be an efficient contract. UFA contracts rarely are, but you know, from a from a leverage standpoint, right? If, if the club were it was able to pay at that level and and limit their downside risk with uh, a shorter than max term you know I, I would consider that a pretty good outcome from well, a team from the team's point of view well and there's a difference between efficient and a discount right because you can get you can right. sign an inefficient deal with Bo Horvat that still represents a discount based on what he would get on the open market because as you said UFA deals tend to be very very inefficient the price goes up when you hit the open market so it doesn't have to be a bargain to for it to be represent Bo Horvat taking that kind of hometown discount for not you know driving as as hard of a, a bargain as he could with the team and you know the other thing I'll say to people raising the concerns about oh I don't know about Bo Horvat at 7.5 million I mean I think the fact that these are the numbers we're discussing for Bo Horvat should really illustrate what a JT Miller contract would look like and why it's probably going to be cost prohibitive for the Canucks. And if you want to say, Hey, look, I don't want to, I want to hold the line on both of them, right? I'm not willing to be, to, to saddle myself with these inefficient contracts for either player based on what they're going to be able to demand. That's a totally reasonable opinion. It just would kind of necessarily chart a very, very uh, different direction for the team, right? Where you're potentially moving on from not one of your two key forwards, but both of them in Miller and Horvat. And 
again, you know, that's kind of a fun conversation to have and speculation about what that path would look like. Would it actually be wise in the long run? We can have all those conversations. I just don't think it's very likely to happen, right? <laughs> and so I think you just, it, it's, again, it's totally fine to say, no, you can't pay Bo Horvat 7.5. I get that. I understand that. But, you know, it doesn't necessarily follow that JT Miller would be coming back in that scenario. And if you're moving on from both of those guys, that is just a completely, completely different future for this team. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Well, moving on from even one of them is, right? Uh, it, it changes entirely sort of what sort of flexibility you're going to have to rebuild that blue line, which is, you know, from a big picture perspective, this organization's foremost priority, right? I mean, it matters more than anything else, um, I think, from from a long view perspective of what this organization thinks they need to accomplish to morph uh, this group into a contending group. Um, Miller, you know, and Horvat being gone gives you a lot of money to do it, but then all of a sudden you've ripped another hole in your lineup, right? You're, you're, mm-hmm. you're just sort of um, bailing the boat out elsewhere. And centermen are no easier to replace than than right-handed defensemen. Well, and this tech, um, to that point, this text comes in. Um, he's, it says, unsigned, if Bo Lefter was traded, who would replace him at less than that that could do the same job? I think that's a very, very reasonable point. It's not as if, you know, as much as you can criticize Bo Horvat for some of the, de- the deficiencies in his game, it's not as if you're just going to, you know, walk out to UFA and replace those minutes and replace that role easily. That's a, a really difficult long-term thing to do, which is why teams are willing to pay for it for it because it's hard to replace correct yeah i mean the 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 guys you'll find in unrestricted free agency also will cost more than seven five you know on on maybe a deal that doesn't come in at max term although probably does (laughs) um so you know that's also a a thing to note here right i I mean we'll see what cadre is gonna get this week right uh we're gonna see what trocheck gets this week we're gonna see what cop gets this week and within that context presumably we'll see where Horvat comes in and I think we'll have a much better sense of you know exactly how big a discount it is right exactly how team friendly it is once some of those deals trickle in and we get a sense of where the market is going now that the cap is predictably rising by a million dollars a year um because it, it is that is going to have a small impact on player valuations and centermen are at such a premium right now across the league uh, this text comes in from Brendan in Nanaimo, who says, uh, Hurdle shouldn't be a comparable for any players on a new contract. San Jose overpaid to keep him in San Jose. Uh, you think Hurdle deserved that contract? It's the opposite of team-friendly, and he's San Jose's number one center. And another one unsigned says, uh, San Jose should be banished from cap comparables uh, with all the inflated numbers and cap hell they're involved in. And I understand the... It's just not how it works. Well, that's the thing. Like You can try to make that argument to the other team, yeah. the, the player's agent, but they're probably not going to accept it right and yeah you can you can kind of nitpick all of these individual cap comps for players but when you take them all together it it adds up to a pretty convincing picture it's also just not like it's not just Tomash Hurdle right I mean you're talking about Matt Duchesne career 0.75 points per game guy Bo Horvat points um six five right so uh, a bit of a gap there, but that's eight million times seven, right? I mean, it's not just the hurdle deal. Um, you know, Zabanajad I think is a higher end player, but again, we're talking about a point seven two career points per game guy, eight to- eight point five times eight. Um, you know, 
I, I already brought up Couturier and, and Hurdle too, right? Like there's no world in which those guys aren't comparables, at least offensively, with Horvat. Uh, so, you know, you, obviously in making your arguments in, in over the course of negotiations, you present the facts that favor you. <laughs> right? Yeah, of course. I mean, there's some selective editing. There's some selective editing in how you present it and what comps you try and throw out. But I just don't see a world in which you can credibly argue that Tomash Hurdle shouldn't be included. And, and you know, that's a, a pretty significant sticking point, I would think, for, for the Horvat camp. Not to say that he's going to match that deal or beat it, but it's a, you know, sort of a peg in the ground that certainly gives them somewhere firm to stand. Yeah, exactly. It's not definitive. It's not the final word on it, but it matters. It's really important. And, you know, from the player's perspective, if the team wants to point to, you know, we had someone mention uh, Gabe Landeskog, right? Like, why why should Horvat get more than the Gabe Landeskog deal? And if you're going to throw out or try to throw out the Tomas Hurdle deal, well, the agent can say, well, you know, there's a lot of extenuating factors and Landis Cog took a big discount because he loves Denver and it's a competitive team and you're not in that place. And, you know, you can always find caveats and ways that the situations differ, but that doesn't mean you just throw them out the window, right? You, you can't just say, no, we're not paying attention to the Tomas Hurdle deal. It got signed. It, it got signed. And as you said, it's not the only one that's kind of pointing to bumping that number up for Bo Horvat. So I think the, the key for me really comes down to just to kind of get back to, you know, people saying, well, what would you consider team friendly? I think the key for me would be limiting the term as much as possible. And I know we've talked about, you know, that with JT Miller and the reports keep coming out that the team is just not com- uh, comfortable giving him the term that uh, that he would be seeking, that kind of max or close to max term deal. And look, maybe they maybe they do find a way to make it work for eight years uh, with Bo Horvat. But from my perspective, I think the way you avoid the biggest risk with a Horvat extension is you limit the term. I, I don't I don't see any way around the AAV number. It's just there's too many comps, the production, the demand for centers, all of that. But if you can avoid the risk on the backside, I think that's ultimately how you make it as team friendly as possible. It's yeah, I mean, you're right. It's it's the term is key, and I think the term has been key in in Miller talks too. So, you know, we know that the club wants to be cautious about it, and yeah, you know, the Landeskog comp's an interesting one because there are rewards for running the type of organization that the Colorado Avalanche have, right? There are rewards that accrue, and one of them is players take less to win. Uh, from Bo Horvat's perspective, right, there's been a lot of frustration, especially over the last two years in Vancouver, and that also impacts your ability to get the type of team-friendly deal you want, even though Horvat has put down roots in Vancouver, uh, deals with the market uniquely well, right? Like, mm-hmm. should be amenable to taking that, uh, to taking the type of hometown discount that fans want. It's just not that simple when you're not at the top of the league, right? It's just the Avalanche live in a different world from a selling vision and and pitching their players on sustained success, then, you know, what the Canucks can sort of rest their laurels on. And to be fair to the texter who mentioned the Gabe Landeskog comp, I don't think it's, you know, I I don't want to act like I think that's, you know, a a silly comp to bring up. Maybe it looks like the Gabe Landeskog deal. I think think that could be in play. Landeskog's like a .77 points per game guy. I mean, uh, you know, a high-end winger. I think that's... um, you know, I mean, it's a useful comp for teams to have in all negotiations because he's 
really, really good and would have been paid far, far more if he decided to max out his income. It's just a little bit of a different situation because when you know, you're a player like a Braden Point agreeing to the deal that he did in Tampa or a Landeskog in, in Colorado, and we'll see what happens with Nathan McKinnon, right? I mean, Nathan McKinnon's eligible for an extension on July 13th. I don't know that we've talked enough, frankly, about that deal. I, I think there's a real chance that from a big picture perspective in terms of shaping who wins cups in the years to come, that the Nathan McKinnon might be the single most impactful deal that could get done this summer. Right, like if if Nathan McKinnon comes in team friendly, that gives the Colorado Avalanche so much weaponry to use in their recruitment pitches to some of their key pending UFAs. Right, I mean, mm-hmm. th- there's almost nothing that would shape those more than than getting McKinnon done first, and and so again, it's just a different set of dynamics as a result of team level success, and you know, another sort of cost, one of the hidden costs of the way that this team has spun its wheels over the past few years. Uh, keep your thoughts coming in, 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. We'll take a break. We will play you back what Cami Granado had to say on the other side. Get in a little bit to more of the draft discussion around the Vancouver Canucks. In particular, what a healthy draft process looks like for an NHL team. Cami Granado had some thoughts on that as well, and we'll play you some of Emily Castingay's press conference from earlier today as well. Lots more coming up. Keep your thoughts coming in. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.